If you do have a Bible with you this morning, you might like to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And whilst you do that, I'd like to tell you about a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesperson by the name of Jamie from Twin Falls in Idaho. He knocked at one particular door, and a woman by the name of Andy Sucher answered, and he presented her or began to present her with a demonstration and talk about um, the vacuum cleaner and a sales pitch, etc. And before he got too far through it, she stopped him and said, look, there's absolutely no way that we could buy a new vacuum. My husband, is, his name is Paul, is uh, very ill and all our extra money is going into treating him. Paul Such's kidneys were failing and he was at the bottom of a list of 500 people in need of a transplant. And apparently one of the problems was that his blood type, O positive, uh, meant that he could only take a kidney from someone with O positive blood. Well, Jamie, the salesperson, said, hey, funny that, I'm O positive. And uh, Andy rather cheekily and hopefully asked, would he consider being a donor? As no one else in the family had the right blood type. And uh, sensing desperation, he said, I'll think about it. And he went back to his car and he prayed. And then he called his father, who's a doctor, and then he called his wife. And he told them, I just feel like it's something I am called to do. He hadn't met Paul Sutcher. He didn't know him at all. He knew nothing about him. The only thing he had in common with him was a blood type that was the same. And an understanding that without a donor, Paul might die. Jamie went back to the house and knocked on the door. This time he wasn't selling. He was giving. When Andy answered, he said, I'll do whatever I can to help. And it turned out that they were a perfect match. And after discussions with doctors and a number of tests, etc., Jamie donated a kidney that saved Paul's life. You know, one of the most reassuring things in life is knowing that God holds us in the palm of his hand and is outworking his glorious plan. And having said that, too often we think in the natural And forget that God is supernatural. The truth is there are a million different ways that God could answer the cry of your heart. The desire that you have, answer the prayer that you're praying. And I'm sure that Paul and Andy never would have dreamed in a million years that a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesperson might offer to save his life. And that God would actually send one to their door. Who knows what God has in store for us this year? We don't. But we do know that there is blessing in store. And there's favour and grace and mercy. And underneath us will be his everlasting arms. And there is encouragement and his abiding presence and steps towards healing and wholeness and answered prayer. We know that. Why? Because his word tells us that it will be the case. We've got to believe in great things because God is a great God. He's a big God. He's bigger than you and me. He is far, far greater than anything we could even imagine that would happen. God is in us. And he wants to do great things through us. The Bible tells us that greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He indeed is God of the impossible. And I've even said it before, we should take our dictionary off the shelf, turn to the word impossible. Get out a pen and put a little H in front of it. Because everything's impossible. Impossible. In life, we need to have faith to trust and to believe. If you want to live a life that is for him and pleases him, then we need to have faith. Why is that? Well, if you're in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see verse 6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Have we not got anything on the screen this morning? I'll just keep going. So there's nothing on the screen? Great. We need to have a better language sign thing. Okay, so there's nothing on the screen. So, um, yeah, Hebrews 11, 6. So read again. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, this verse is one of three verses in the book of Hebrews in which the writer actually says there are some things that are impossible. They just won't happen. And this morning, I'd like to look briefly at these three verses and talk about what is impossible. And in so doing, help us to approach tomorrow with a renewed confidence in the work of the cross and his word to believe God for the impossible. So number one, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is the way of God. One chapter earlier in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38, it says, but my righteous ones will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. My righteous ones will live by faith. Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, firstly, to not have faith means we don't actually believe him. It's hard to believe in something you can't see. Jesus actually said to Thomas, who doubted the resurrection, you know, um, you now see the scars in my hands and believe, but blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. And if we saw God, that wouldn't be faith at all. It's true that seeing is believing, but believing without seeing is genuine faith. It's also impossible to please God without faith because it shows that we actually don't trust him because faith is trust. Faith is trust. And if that's the case, it also reveals thirdly that we don't know him well enough to have faith in him. So, to not have faith means that we don't believe him, that means we don't trust him, and it means we don't know him. No wonder he's not pleased with that. How then can we build our faith? Well, the disciples actually asked Jesus that in Luke 17. How can we build our faith? He said, grow grow our faith, Lord. We want to increase our faith. And in Mark 9, there's a story where Jesus is actually delivering a boy of an evil spirit. And his father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. So faith can grow in our lives. And Romans chapter 10, verse 17, gives us a clue as to how that might happen. It says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So faith comes as we're in the word. Faith comes as we're in here. So whether we hear it preached like we are this morning, or we're reading a, or listening to a podcast, or reading a blog, or, or we're actually taking the book off the shelf and are starting to put it into self, in other words, we're becoming a self-feeder and read. Faith, faith begins to build in our lives. We read how God is for us. And we see that God, we are God's children. He loves us and loves to do good things for us. And if it happened for them then, it'll happen for us now. If it was good enough for them then, it's good enough for us now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if that's the case, and God shut the mouth of the lions for Daniel, he'll close the mouth of our accuser in our workplace. If God took down that giant Goliath for David, he'll take down the giant opposition we face today. If Joseph was able to keep a right spirit and a good sweet heart in the midst, not a girl, but a heart that was sweet, he would... He would, he, if he could do that then in the midst of injustice, today in the midst of injustice, we can keep a right heart and right spirit. And if Peter could know what it is to step out of the boat one foot at a time and walk on water, when we step out of the boat in faith one step at a time, he, he is able to hold us with a sustaining word and a hand that's outreached to us. And if Abraham could know what it is to hear a word from God and step out in faith, not knowing what that meant 
and it results in blessing for all humanity when we step out on a word from God, not knowing what it means, he'll be there for us too, resulting in blessing. So what is faith? Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. We exercise faith all the time. I saw nobody come in here this morning, get on their hands and knees and check under the chair to make sure that it would actually be able to hold you up. I saw nobody come in this morning and he's actually now scanning across here as no one wearing a crash helmet. You have faith in the building, the engineers, etc. The ceiling tiles aren't going to fall in on you this morning. You exercise faith. We do it all the time. The story is told of a group of people from Kansas who were in a situation where there was um, a drought. So they got together to pray. And they did. They prayed for rain. Lord, send rain. And it wasn't until after the prayer meeting they realized only one young girl bought an umbrella. She had faith. She had faith. Faith in God. We've got to have faith in God and trust him, believe him, and take him at his word. Well, why should we do that? Because he's told us that his word is perfect and flawless. He's told us that it's enduring. He's told us that it won't fail. He's told us that it's eternal. He's told us that it's right and true. So if it's perfect and flawless and enduring and right and true and eternal and won't fail us, I believe it's worthy of us trusting and putting our faith in it. That brings us to the second point that Hebrews tells us that is impossible. And it's found in chapter 6 of Hebrews. It's verse 18 and it's the middle of a verse and it's really powerful. It's quite profound. It says, it is impossible for God to lie. It is not that he won't lie. It's just impossible for him to lie. Therefore, the second point is it's impossible for God to lie. Faith is the way of God, and the truth found in his word is impossible for him to lie. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says this. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? According to Dr. David Jeremiah, Amazon.com has more than 3 million book titles on sale. And in spite of the claims that they all make, and many of them are self-help books and be a better you and a how-to type books. None of them make a claim like the Bible makes about itself. That is, it's alive and active. Hebrews eleven four, twelve 12 says this. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What does it mean when it says it's alive? It means it's not just words. The words in it are inspired by God's Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture, Old and New Testament, is God-breathed, inspired by God. There's the on it. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And because the words are inspired and alive, they can find their way into our lives, into the lives of those who read them, right down to the vision of the very soul and spirit, down to the inner parts of our lives, can even cause us to challenge and question the true intention of our thoughts, our attitudes, and our desires. And like all living things, the word of God is able to produce life. As Peter refers to in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, being born again through the, through the what? Through the living and enduring. Word of God. So reading, reading the Word of God brings us life, 
and has the power to change our lives. The word of God can be relied upon to lead, feed, and guide us. The Bible tells us in John 17, my word is truth. My word is truth. So all the words in the Bible, God's words, are they all God's words? Well, the answer to that is no, they're not. They're not all God's words. Some are human words, words that people have spoken. Some are words spoken by angels. Some are words spoken by demons and even Satan himself. But what we have recorded here are words the Lord wanted and inspired the writers to record and write down. They are God's overall word to us, and they are truth. His word contains promises that we can lean on, and I assure you, if we lean on them, they won't break. I know of a pastor who lives in a ch- I heard him say this, that he, he's, he's in a country where the word of God is really, really revered, and um, in front of his church, he took the Bible, put it on the ground, and then stood on it. And everyone in the church went, oh, like this. And he did it because he said, the promises of God won't break when you stand on them. And we used to sing a song years ago, Standing on the Promises of God. And we can do that. They will not break. They will sustain our weight. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. George Foreman who was two-time heavyweight boxing champion of the world at age 45, became the oldest man in the world to win that title. In his book entitled God in My Corner, he writes this. When I climbed in the ring during my comeback, the announcers often introduced me as the former heavyweight champion of the world. As they introduced me, I mumbled to myself and the next heavyweight champion of the world. How could I ever win the title if I didn't believe that I could? And if you have a great dream and you're attempting to fulfill in your life, you've got to believe it can happen before it can actually do it. I wasn't trying to be proud. And this is what he said. I simply believed what God had promised me, that I would regain the title. Foreman had a promise from God, and he stepped into the ring believing it. And during particularly difficult times of the work of China Inland Mission, renowned missionary Hudson Taylor wrote to his wife, we have 25 cents and all the promises of God. Despite difficulty, he continued to believe that God was with him and was going to take him through. God does not lie. Why is that? Well, it's because God is holy. His holiness makes it impossible for him to lie. For being holy, it means that God is absolute. He's transcendent. He's surpassing purity. He does not conform to the standard. He is the standard. And since God is holy, all his other characteristics and attributes are also holy. Thus, when God speaks, he will not lie. He cannot lie. He never deceives, neither does he distort or misrepresent what he says or does. Lying is against his very nature. He cannot contradict his own pure nature. And if God were to lie, that would give him something in common with Satan, and that's just unthinkable, that's impossible, because Satan is the father of lies. And if God could lie, that would mean he's like us. But we read in Numbers 23, God is not a human being, that he should lie. Remember, he is supernatural. As humans, we're given to lying. In fact, we're given to all manner of sin. I read of a pastor who uh, said his church homework after having preached. He said, I've just finished my sermon, etc. For next week, I'd like you to read the uh, chapter 17 of Mark's gospel. Please read that in preparation for my sermon next week. Well, the week rolled round. He got into the pulpit again and he asked, who did the homework last week? Who read Mark chapter 17? And a huge number of people, the vast majority of the church raised their hands. He just smiled and he said, well, that's interesting. Mark actually only has 16 chapters. <laughs> I'm now going to proceed with my sermon that's on the sin of lying. Now, I don't know about you, but I have lied. 
We won't ask for hands. I'm, this is my confession. I've lied, and I'm not proud of it at all. But I'm thankful for the mercy and the grace of God. Yeah, his mercy means that I don't get what I do deserve. And his grace means that I do get what I don't deserve. Through his mercy and grace, he's made a way for us to enter his presence. Without it, we're shut out of his presence forever. And that leads to the third impossible thing. The first was it's impossible to please God without faith. The second is that his word is truth and it's impossible for him to lie. The third is found in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 which says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So what does that mean? Well in the beginning when Adam and Eve first sinned by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they attempted to cover their sin by sewing fig leaves together to cover themselves up because they suddenly realized that they were naked. Now their efforts weren't good enough. God gave them skins, covered them over with skins because without the shedding of blood, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin. And it's not the actual act of shedding blood, otherwise Jesus could have just you know, cut a finger and that's it. Redeemed humanity, bypassed the cross. No, 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 it's not talking about the actual physical. It's, it's referring to, without the shedding of blood, it's referring to the fact that without death, there is no forgiveness of sin. And throughout the Bible, the punishment for sin is death. It started way back in Genesis 2 when God said to Adam, look man, if you eat from the tree of, the, of that Sorry, eat the fruit of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And when they did, they suffered spiritual death, which was separation from God. And then later they suffered physical death, and that's been the situation ever since. It's also reaffirmed by Paul in Romans chapter 6, where he said the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, we can see a system of animal sacrifices that was instituted in order to cover over people's sin. And these sacrifices were not sufficient in themselves. They had to be repeated again and again and again, logically showing that they were not obtaining forgiveness, but only covering over sin temporarily, delaying judgment. The system of animal sacrifices was meant to symbolize what was to come, to prepare people for the ministry of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who sacrificed himself on the cross, who would not just cover over sin, but would take away the sin of the world. He is the single Perfect sacrifice. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, uh, um, at least saying that the blood of bulls and goats will not take away sin, is basically saying there's no other way to God except through Jesus. All of our efforts, our good works, our righteous acts, the Bible tells us they all fall short. They're like filthy rags. Jesus said himself in John chapter 14 verse 6 and answered to a question. He said, he says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus paid the price for our salvation, for yours and for mine. He set joy before him and endured the cross in all its terror. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He paved the way to the Father through faith, for faith is the way of God. He spoke the truth. His word is truth. He does not lie. He gave his life for our forgiveness. Jesus showed us the way and he spoke the truth and brought us life. So each and every day, 
is able to be filled with passion because of the cross and the life that we have received as a result of that. And it's able to be filled with the promises of God that we know we can lean on because they are truth. He does not lie. And it's able to be filled with purpose because he has called us. And as we live by faith, we will see that we will fulfill the purpose and plan God has for our lives. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. It may not be all going our way in life at the moment. But no matter what, we still need to have faith. His word and his life have faith in what he's done on the cross and give life our best shot. I read of a young boy who had a baseball bat and a ball. And he looked at the bat and he said to himself, I am the best hitter in the world. Threw the ball in the air, tried to hit it and missed. Strike one. Picked it up, looked at the bat even more intently and said, I am the best hitter in the world. Threw the ball in the air, went to hit it, missed. Strike two. Picked the ball up, adjusted his cap and with even more concentration, he said, I am the best hitter in the world. Threw the ball up, slogged it, missed it. Strike three. Put the bat down, picked the ball up, looked at it and said, well, what do you know? I'm the best pitcher in the world. <laughs> you know, we've got to be like that little boy. If things don't work out, can I encourage you? Don't give up. Don't give up. Think of Paul and Andy Sutcher. I told you about them earlier. The initial diagnosis of kidney failure would have been like a curveball thrown at them. It wasn't planned. We have to keep positive. He's a God of the impossible. And he can provide a vacuum cleaner salesperson for you too. Keep holding on to the life that we have received through the cross. Jesus paid a huge price for that. Keep holding on to your faith because without it, it's impossible to please God. Keep believing his word. It does not lie. It does not lie. It will not let you down. And give it your best shot. A little girl by the name of Lindsay wanted a kitten. She kept asking her mother week after week for this kitten, but her mother refused. Keep pestering her mother. Anyone had anyone do that? <laughs> Come into, I want a kitten. Mummy, please can I have a kitten, please? And she said, no, no, no. She said, we don't want any more pets in the house. Final. But Lindsay wasn't put off. She kept asking and just kept positive. She thought about what it was to have a new little kitten. She imagined that kitten sleeping on the foot of her bed. She imagined what it would be like to care for the kitten. She even planned about the little bowl that would drink milk from, etc., etc. She just kept positive, kept believing. And finally, after months of asking her mother, her mother out of frustration, said, listen, honey, if God will give you a kitten, I'll let you keep it, but we are not buying one. Well, Lindsay didn't know any better. She went out into the garden, got down on little hands and knees, and said, God, I'm asking you to please give me a kitten. And when she'd finished praying, when a mother watching over her, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a kitten came flying out of the sky and landed just in front of her. The mother couldn't believe her eyes. She thought she was seeing things. There was no tree overhanging or anything. It appeared like the kitten had fallen from the heavens. Lindsay picked it up and said, Look, Mama, God gave me a kitten. The mother was dumbfounded, and Lindsay got a kitten. Several months later, the mother learned what happened. The neighbors who lived behind her a few doors down were trying to get a little kitten out of the tree but it was too tall for the man to reach with his ladder. So he tied a rope to the tree, then hooked it to the bumper of his car and started edging his car down the driveway. And just as the tree swung down low enough for him to get out of his car and come to get the kitten, 
the, the rope slipped. The tree acted like a slingshot and fired this kitten 180 metres over three houses. The man felt terrible. He couldn't find the cat and he thought he'd killed it. But he didn't know that God had used Toon to answer the little girl's prayer. He is indeed the God of the impossible. A vacuum cleaner salesman or a kitten from the sky. Nothing is impossible for him. Just got to have faith. Because without it, we can't please him. Just to believe his word. He doesn't lie. He's given it for us. His promises are yes and amen. We just trust in the work of the cross. It has removed our sins so we can come boldly into his presence and lay our requests before him and see him do the impossible on our behalf. Amen. There endeth the lesson. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father in heaven, thank you so much for the cross. And even saying that doesn't seem enough. And that's why we surrender our lives. You gave your life for us and we surrender our lives to you. We thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the price that was paid that meant that we could come boldly into your throne room. We thank you, Lord, for your word that speaks to us and outlines your promises and the fact that your face is toward us and that you love us dearly and you want to do good things for us and you give good gifts to your children and Lord that healing and wholeness and provision is found in your word, it's found in you, it's found at the foot of the cross and we thank you for that Lord, we bless you for your love, we bless you for your provision, we look to you Lord. Father we pray that you'd forgive us for not spending the time in your word that we should. Draw us to it, Lord, again. Give us a hunger for your word, the bread of life, Lord. Give us hunger for it, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you'd help us to recognize distractions for what they are. Put them aside and to spend time with you. That you might speak into our lives afresh of the call, the purpose, the plan you have for our lives. You might speak about the future. You might talk about the past. But, Father, we'd have an ear to hear what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to use our life to be a blessing to you. And so we pray, Father, do the impossible in our lives and through our lives, that we might be such a blessing to people who desperately need you. This world is sin-sick, Lord. It needs to see Jesus. And many people are only reading us. We're the only Bible they're reading. And so, Father, we pray that more of your word in us, that more of your word might flow through us. More of Jesus in us, that more of Jesus might flow out of us. Lord, we love you. We want to be your ambassadors with heads held high being all you've called us to be in these days. We thank you for today. We thank you for tomorrow. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be everything you've called us to be in those moments. In your glorious name, amen.